All right, we're going to transition. We are in a sermon series right now called, uh, simply called Jesus, seeing him again for the first time. And, uh, oh, we're going to switch mics up here. Um, back in, in 1989, a youth leader named Janie Tinkleberg from Holland, Michigan. <laughs> She came up with this idea um, for her youth group. She just read a book that that some of you maybe have read called In His Steps. It's this book written way back at the end of the 1800s, one of the the top-selling Christian books out there. She just read it, and she came up with this idea for her youth group. And the idea was that she was going to put the book's slogan on bracelets to be worn by her youth group for 30 days. And that would give them a little bit of an idea, a reminder to live like Jesus. And so she got a hold of a local company, and they printed off 300 bracelets. Well, this idea caught on very quickly in her hometown of Holland, and pretty soon 300 bracelets weren't enough, and so they needed to go and order a whole bunch more bracelets. And uh, they didn't go with the whole slogan on the bracelets. They just actually opted for four letters, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And eventually marketing people got a hold of this idea, and today tens of millions of bracelets have been have been sold around the world. The slogan has um, has has received a lot of attention over the years. Um, some church leaders have received it really well. Um, uh, like the the Archbishop of Canterbury even commented on how just the, the path to truth is is it, it's so simple. Um, others though haven't received it quite so well. One guy named Conrad Gimp, a New Testament professor, said that it's it's actually the wrong question. He says. That, um, that the early church didn't actually copy Jesus. They more followed and obeyed Jesus. And for, as an example, he said well, the disciples didn't see a lake of water and go, what would Jesus do, and then walk across the water. And, and furthermore, this Gimp guy, said, he questioned if it's really even possible to know what Jesus would do. After all, he reasoned, we know very little about how Jesus lived his life when he wasn't preaching and when he wasn't doing miracles, you know, the stuff that we see recorded in the four Gospels. And then this, this, this guy made an interesting statement that we're going to kind of grab a hold of this morning and, and preach some on. He said, And what little the Bible does tell us defies all expectations. Hanging around with prostitutes and trashing the temple, is that the kind of behavior church youth leaders want to encourage? I was in, in my late teens when the, uh, the, the WWJD phenomenon caught on. It was all the bracelets. I actually never personally had a bracelet. I wasn't really much of a bracelet guy. I never have been a bracelet uh, kind of guy. Um, but, but WWJD, if you were alive back in those days and, and around the church, maybe even not around the church, you probably saw WWJD somewhere. It was on coffee mugs. It was on hats. Um, even some pro athletes took their, their shoes and put WWJD on their shoes. It was, it was everywhere out there. But for me, um, a kid who grew up under the pressure of having to live by all the church rules, like grew up in the church um, as a pastor's kid, um, the slogan actually might as well have been, rather than WWJD, it might as well have been WWJND. What would Jesus not do? Read a Playboy magazine? No, he wouldn't do that. Mutter some, some choice words on the basketball floor when the ref made a bad call? No, he, he wouldn't do that. Cheat on the algebra test? No. 
sleep in, skip morning devotions. No, he certainly would not do that. Spend time with party animals, people with a questionable reputation whose behavior was different than what I'd been taught to live my life by. My answer to that wasn't actually a hard no, but it was a probably not. Probably not. But I was, I was actually pretty surprised as I, as I grew up and, 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 and got to know Jesus more and, and just kind of grew in my faith. Um, I was surprised to learn that if, if I were to truly ask the question, what would Jesus do? One of the answers that you would have to give is he would spend a lot of time with people who didn't act like him, people who were far from him, people who didn't follow the rules of religion, people whose lives were broken, whose values and behaviors were, were different than his. In short, Jesus spent a lot of time with people who the religious have always labeled sinners. In fact, he became so well known for eating and drinking with scoundrels, wrongdoers, enemies of the religious establishment, and other generally unsavory people that he even got a reputation of being known as a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And here's where it gets even more wild. It wasn't like these people that he was spending time with were just kind of grinning and bearing it while the religious guy was in the room. They just, man, when's this guy going to leave so that we can just stop having to, to pretend? And, and I kind of know what that's like because, you know, sometimes as the pastor, as the religious guy in the room, I don't like to think of myself as a religious guy, but when I'm in a room or in a group of people who, who don't, aren't a part of church or don't know Jesus, I, I get the sense sometimes that they can't wait for the conversation to be done so they can, they can stop pretending to be well-behaved. And, and, and then there's the, the world's response to the church as a whole. I think it's no secret that at least in America, the church isn't becoming more liked by the world. We're becoming less liked by the world. And, and a question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Why aren't people far from God drawn to the church like they were drawn to Jesus? Because they weren't just grinning and bearing it when they were with Jesus. They actually wanted to be with him. They wanted to be with him. And today I want to revisit the story of a shady, vile man, a man who was an outcast of the religious, an outcast of society, a man who most respectable people didn't want anything to do with. And yet a man who was so drawn to Jesus that he willingly gave up everything to follow him. The man's name is Matthew. Matthew would later go on to write a book about Jesus, a book that since has become named after its author. Um, and in this book, Matthew also tells, from the third-person point of view, he tells the story of his, 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 his encounter with Jesus. And so if you want to follow along in a Bible or Bible app, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Passing along... Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Now, a, a ton of stuff has been written and a ton of stuff has been said about the reputation of tax collectors back in ancient times. Um, basically, their occupation had everything to do with fraud, thievery, corruption. On top of that, they worked for the Roman Empire, so they were seen by the Jewish people, um, people like Jesus. They were seen as being traitors, and no one liked these guys. If you saw a tax collector, you just went the opposite direction. They didn't, nobody wanted to be around them. You just kept their, your distance from tax collectors. But, you know, one of the things that I'm glad about with, when it comes to Jesus is that um, Jesus isn't most people. When we were far from him, when we were 
lost in our brokenness, in our sin, living lives, just leaving a trail of broken relationships behind us. Jesus didn't keep his distance from us, but he pressed in and moved towards us just like he did with Matthew. He didn't keep his distance. Instead, to the utter shock of his Jewish disciples, Jesus approaches Matthew and says, come along with me. I love what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say, Matthew, it's, I want to teach you to behave like me. He doesn't say, Matthew, I have a sermon I want you to hear. He doesn't say, Matthew, I want you to come and check out and join my really cool church. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, come along with, or as a lot of translations of the Bible say, follow me. Why? Because he is not inviting Matthew into a behavior modification program. He's not inviting Matthew to show up to a church event, and he's not inviting him to learn the do's and don'ts of a religious system. No, Jesus is inviting Matthew into a relationship with him. It's the same thing as if Jesus saw Matthew and went up to him and said, hey, let's be friends. I want to get to know you, and I want you to get to know me. And if we're to be like Jesus and become the kind of people who even the most worldly people want to be around, it has to start right here. It's not about them having them in our church. It's not even about making converts. It's about relationship. It's about simply being a good friend and then letting God do the rest. So Jesus, he invites Matthew to be a part of his group of followers and was Matthew put off by this? Was he like, uh, yikes, some religious guy wants to be my friend? You know, I bet if this, is, if this Jesus was the same Jesus that we've talked about from all the pictures that are out there, you know, the guy that has a, the halo over his head and just like the, the glossy sort of lifeless look and the big Bible in his hand with all the rules to remind people of all the rules they need to follow. He's got his hand up there in that, the blessing pose. I don't have it quite right, but there's a blessing pose in all the picture, pictures. I bet if it had been that Jesus, Matthew would have been saying, uh, actually, I think I've got a lot of stuff I've got to get done, so I'm going to take a pass on that invitation to come and hang out with you. No one, including me, wants to hang out with a super spiritual, rule-enforcing religious person. But that's not Jesus. He is good. He's, he's a real person. He's full of grace. And so when he invites Matthew to come along with him and to follow him, the Bible says... Matthew stood up and followed him. And I just want to pause right here for just a moment and talk to anybody, maybe in the room, maybe you're watching online, and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you're just checking things out. Maybe you're, 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 you're tuning in and you're coming along because you've got a spouse who's just encouraging you to, to show up, and so you just want to kind of be there because it means a lot for your spouse. Maybe, maybe your parents, maybe you're a student in the room, and your parents drag you to church every week, and, but you're in that camp, you go, yeah, I'm not really a, a Christian, not really a follower of Jesus. And maybe for you, this Christianity stuff just isn't your thing because you're intimidated by all the rules. You, you know that at some point, you're just going gonna to fail, you're going to fall on your face. And I, and I want you to understand something about true biblical Christianity. Something that, that actually even a lot of Christians tend to miss and not really understand. Jesus does not invite you to follow a rule book. He invites you to follow him. Did you know 
that you can know your Bible inside and out. You can even have half the thing memorized. You, you can know all the ways of Scripture. You can, you can even be following them all through the letter of the law, and yet you could still be missing out on knowing Jesus. The religious leaders of, of Jesus' days, they were actually pros at following the Bible. And yet Jesus had this to say to them. He said, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think that you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the force for the trees. These scriptures are all about me, Jesus said, and here I am. I'm standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say that you want. Get this. The Bible isn't the point. Jesus is the point. It is about finding the life that our souls were created for. Jesus gave us the Bible, not so that we would have a new moral standard to live by, some good tips for a good life. Um, no, he gave us the scriptures to point to him, the one who is life. And for all of us who are following Jesus, it's so important for us to remember this when we're interacting with people who don't know Jesus. It's not about getting people to follow the rules. It's about simply being in relationship with them and then letting God do the rest. I remember very clearly this interaction that I had when I was a teenager. Would consider myself a follower of Jesus, but not really sure how all this worked. I definitely thought that being a Christian was, was about the rules. It was about all these different regulations that were out there that I was just failing at all the time. Lived with a constant guilt and shame complex. Like, I just could not measure up. That was kind of me. And I remember one time I had this conversation with this kid. I can't remember this guy's name. I was about 14 or 15. He was about the same age. He was, uh, I lived in such a small town. You're going to laugh when I tell you this, but it was such a small town. There were actually only two basketball teams, um, and so we were always playing each other. He was on the other team, and uh, you got to know guys' moves and plays pretty quick, all that kind of stuff um, where I grew up. But I remember one time telling this kid, he just had a very, he just cussed all the time, and nonstop, and my, 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 my little religious ears could not handle all of his swearing. And so I remember telling this guy, hey, you need to stop swearing or I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. <laughs> Guess how he responded? We never hung out again. And you got to understand something. This is the polar opposite of how Jesus is. Polar opposite. And, and I get that the swearing story is a little bit silly, but the church actually does this all the time. You need to stop being so pro-abortion or I'm not going to hang out. You need to stop having such a filthy mouth, being so depressed, voting for that party, being affiliated with that religion, or I'm not going to hang out with you. You need to stop being so LGBT plus, or I'm not going to hang out with you. The list goes on and on and on. And you got to understand something. Jesus is actually polar opposite. He says, I see you. I see all your ways that are so different than my ways. But guess what, he says, the life that I came to bring, I want you to know it and know it to the full. So let's be friends. That's the way of Jesus. In church, you've got to listen. He calls you and me to do the exact same thing. The Bible actually goes on to say, it got really quiet in here. <laughs> The Bible goes on to say later when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, get this, a lot of dis, 
reputable characters came and joined them. And, and I've been actually thinking a lot about this, this, this line right here, this sentence this week, because I just, it, it just is so unlike me. I've been very convicted. And, and you know what I love about Jesus here is he doesn't actually ease into his friendships. He jumps fully into his friendships. And, and I've been thinking about this, and, you know, if this had been me in this situation, you know, maybe, maybe I'm at the gym, and uh, I start off, I, there's somebody there that I don't know, and, 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 and I'm already an introvert as it is, so it's already hard enough for me to start a conversation with somebody I don't know. Um, but there's somebody there I don't know, and maybe, maybe if I find the courage, I muster up the courage, I make a comment about their workout routine or how they're lifting their weights or whatever, and then several weeks down the road, um, I might come back and, and uh, say, hey, I've seen you here before, and yeah, we chatted a while back. What's your name? Then catch your name, and, and maybe we'll have a l another little conversation. Several months later, um, then maybe I'll take the next step and ask them, hey, um, uh, something about their, their routine or, or maybe where they work or if they got a family, whatever, all that kind of stuff. And maybe, maybe at some point, if, if I can just muster enough courage I might say, hey, do you want to grab some coffee or something? Jesus is not like that at all. The very first day, he's like, come along with me, follow me. Oh, and by the way, what's in the fridge? Because I'm going to come hang out over at your house today. That's Jesus. And you know what? I, I honestly believe that, that most Christians um, are generally— pretty kind-hearted towards people that don't know Jesus, non-Christians, whatever kind of, however you want to put it. We want the best for people. We want to be helpful. We want, we want people to, to just experience the good of life. Um, we even give financially towards agencies and, and mission centers around the world that help people who are far from God. Um, most of us in this room um, have acquaintances or family members that don't know Jesus, aren't, aren't, wouldn't call themselves Christians. But just understand something, that that posture of just simply being an acquaintance is different from what's happening here with Jesus. It's different. He's not just having a kind or nice attitude towards non-Christians. He's becoming so connected with them that, as we read earlier, he's actually becoming associated with them. He's becoming associated with them. And honestly, I don't, I don't know entirely what to make of how Jesus so quickly gets from stranger to invited for dinner. That's a big jump that happens on the same day. But I got to tell you, I am so convicted and challenged by that. You know, I hear Jesus saying, Rich, don't be so cautious in getting to know people. Stop using your introvert label as an excuse. Take more risks. Be quicker to open up your life, open up your home to people, and not just people who are like you, but people who are the polar opposite of you. And here's Jesus. He's, he's at Matthew's house, and there are a lot more Matthews at the supper table. table. With, with Matthew, it was, it, it was one disreputable uh, character, and now the Bible says it's a lot of disreputable characters who came and joined them. It's crazy, though. They are drawn to Jesus over and over again. 
I wanted to rattle off a bunch of verses this morning, but we just didn't have time. But there, there are, are verses all throughout the Gospels that talk about how sinners were, came to Jesus in his, his posture to them. And these are people who were outcasts of society. They were just living completely different than everybody else. They came to Jesus, and rather than Jesus put up a wall, or rather than Jesus be distant, he just was, his arms were wide open to them. And it's, it's, it's incredible. Jesus does this over and over again. And here we see him. He's over at Matthew's house, the Bible says, and there's a lot of disreputable characters in the room. But uh-oh, some, some people are not very happy. And, and who are those unhappy people? Yep, the religious crowd. <laughs> Once again, Jesus is making the religious people very, very angry. And the Bible says that when the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher? Acting cozy with crooks and riffraff. And this is a common pattern in Scripture. Jesus embraces people who are not living his way, and, and who steps in? The religious people to scold him and to scold his followers, they actually want the people who need Jesus the most to be dismissed, ignored, and even outright rejected. And listen, if, if this ever becomes your heart's posture towards a group of people who are far from God, you have just moved into a position of being less like Jesus rather than more like Jesus. But listen to how Jesus responds when these Pharisees go off. Jesus, overhearing, shot back. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. He said, I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. I've always found this fascinating. This, this part of this whole story here. Jesus, in this these, these words that he just shared, he's actually, he, he indirectly refers to Matthew and the whole gang that he's got there of disreputable characters. He indirectly refers to them as sick and as outsiders. While he's right there in the room, he, he's addressing them like this indirectly. And, and we know this is happening because Matthew is the one who's reporting this. He, he's writing all this down later on. But how does Matthew respond? Does he go, uh, whoa, whoa, hang on a second there, Jesus. Uh, that's just a little offensive. Can you just maybe dial it back a little bit? Softer language, Jesus. Softer language. Not at all. Instead, he actually keeps following Jesus. Why? Because he knew he was broken. He knew that he was sick. And he knew that he was in need of healing. And if you and I are honest with ourselves, we will admit it too. It doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus for five days or 50 years. We need Jesus. This last week in our, our church is going through a Bible reading plan. Um, and uh, there was a prayer in this that from one of the guys I just consider a hero. Um, read a lot of his stuff. He's passed on now, but his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And this prayer that he wrote, this guy's like a follow, I mean, this, this guy's a follower of Jesus. He literally gave his life. His life ended um, for following Jesus. But he wrote a prayer that was in our devotional this week that went like this. He prayed, In me there is darkness, but with you there is light. I am lonely, but you do not leave me. I am feeble in heart, but with you there is help. 
I am restless, but with you there is peace. In me there is bitterness, but with you there is patience. We are broken. You know, some days there's a darkness that just I find in me just comes out of nowhere. I'll just find myself angry for whatever reason. I can be so incredibly self-centered. And if you don't believe me, just ask my family. They will vouch for that very, very quickly. I, I find my soul tempted often to take the easier route, to say yes to momentary pleasure. I'm broken, messed up. And does Jesus reject me? Does he push me away? Does he go, Rich, you've been following me for all this time now. Why can't you not just get your act together already? Does he do that? No, instead he moves in and he offers relationship. He offers friendships. He just keeps inviting me over and over again, even in my failure and my brokenness, saying, Rich, come along with me. Follow me. Let's be friends. In three of the four books in the Bible that tell the story of, of Jesus' time on earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three of those books, you're going to find lists of Jesus' 12 disciples. Matthew's name is in all three lists, but in two of the lists, his name is simply mentioned as Matthew. But in one list, the list that, that Matthew wrote down, you know how he describes himself? He describes himself not just as Matthew, but he says Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the tax collector. And, you know, I think if I'm writing that list later on, you know, for just kind of leaving my legacy behind here for all of history, I'm going to be going uh, something a little bit bigger and better. Like maybe Matthew the Apostle or Matthew the OG follower of Jesus. You know, something that's going to resonate a little bit for all of all time. But Matthew instead goes with Matthew the tax collector. And I wonder if he wanted us to forever have a reminder of the life that Jesus called him out of when he was first invited to follow him. Which brings us all the way back around to that question that we asked at the beginning of the sermon. Why is it that people who are far from God aren't drawn to us, the church, like they were to Jesus? And let me just tell you, here's a big reason right here. We have forgotten who we are. We've forgotten who we are. Let me explain that. One of, one of the, the books, if you're a book reader, that you need to read at some point was written by a guy named Philip Yancey. It's called What's So Amazing About Grace. You'll be wiping your eyes for most of the book because it's that kind of a book. But in it, he says this. He says, somehow, somehow we have created a community of respectability in the church. The down and out who flocked to Jesus when he lived on earth no longer feel welcomed. A community of respectability where either we think that we have it all together or we at least look like we have it all together. And now we've become too respectable to be associated with the likes of people who, who aren't like us. But if you've been around here for any length of time, you have heard me say this often. Don't be mistaken by the nice smiles and the nice clothes and the nice handshakes and hand five, high fives, don't let that fool you. Every single one of us in this room is just as jacked up as everybody else. Now, that might make you uncomfortable, but if you don't believe that's true, you might want to do a little soul searching. 
We are not a community of people who have it all together. We are a community of broken sinners who have encountered the grace of Jesus. That's it. Nothing more. That is it. And, 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 and listen, church, this is so, so important. The moment that we forget that, the moment that our, our posture, and this can happen very, very, very subtly, but the moment that our posture shifts to, I'm somehow better than you. I'm better because I don't live that lifestyle. I don't share that ideology. I'm better because I have a good job and a nice family. I'm better because I vote this way. I'm better because I don't lie, cheat, or fill in the blank, whatever you've got there. The moment that we start thinking this and believing this, people will sniff out that kind of spiritual religious pride from a mile away. And what we'll end up doing is slamming the door of the kingdom of God on those who need him the most. Philip Yancey, in his book on grace, goes on to ask a similar question to the, to the one I asked. He, he asks, or he says, what keeps, from, what keeps from following his steps, or sorry, what keeps people from following his steps today? What would it take for the church to become a place where prostitutes, tax collectors, and even guilt-tinged Pharisees would gladly gather? And you know what the answer is? You know, you know what the solution is? It's grace. It's grace. It is us understanding who we are, how desperately we are in need of Jesus, how broken we still are, and, 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 and loving people in the same way that Jesus loves us. Showing that kind of grace to others, where you invite others into friendship even though they don't believe or act like you do, where you shower people with love even when they're about everything that you're not. When you remember who you are and then you love others how Christ has loved you, you just might find that the most unlikely people begin to be drawn to the religious or to the, to the Jesus inside of you. They just, just might be drawn to the Jesus inside of you. Because tell me this, who doesn't want to be around someone who sees all their shortcomings, who sees all their brokenness, who sees all their failures, who just, but still loves them like crazy. Who doesn't want to be around that kind of a person? And when we're that way towards those who aren't followers of Jesus, it becomes a very, very, very bright light inside of us. If you're here and you're not following Jesus, we're going to close with this. You need to know this morning that he is inviting you. He is inviting you to follow him. He's asking you if you'll take that simple step, just that simple step of faith and trust and say yes. Not yes. He's not, he's not asking you to say yes to joining a church. He's not asking you to say yes to following a bunch of rules. No, he is simply asking you today, will you say yes to knowing in following me. That's what he's asking today. And maybe your, your first response to that is, no. I am not qualified. I'm not religious. That's not my thing. I just, that's, I'm, that's not me. I've made too many mistakes, too many failures. It's not me. Listen, if, if Matthew were here this morning, he would tell you, I was all those things too. And as amazing as it might seem, it doesn't change a single thing. Jesus' invitation to you is the exact same. He says, come along with me. Come along with me and follow me. And when you do, when you really begin to get to know Jesus, the more you spend time with him, the more you realize that 
that in a world full of confusion and questions and lies, you'll begin to see, hey, he, he is the truth. In a world where, where there's just so much brokenness and, and so much unrest, you'll begin to see that he is the way. In a world where we're just, our souls are longing for something, we're longing for something to satisfy that deep down desire, you'll begin to see, yeah, he, he really is life and life too his invitation to us today is to follow him whether you're someone who calls themselves a Christian the follower of Jesus or not his invitation to us is the same come follow me come alongside let's pray Heavenly Father God I gotta just tell you I am preaching to myself this morning God I'm so convicted by what you're, you're inviting me, and God, I know you're inviting us as a church into. God, you're not just asking us to be nice people to those who, are, who don't consider them, themselves followers of you. You're not just asking us to have a, uh, a kind disposition towards people that live differently than we do. God, you are full on asking us to have the kind of relationship with people, be the kind of friend that, God, we, we become associated with them. God, you were, you were known as a, 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 a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners because you spent so much time with irreligious people who, who weren't anything like you. And, God, you're calling us to do the same you are calling us to do the same. And, and God, I don't know what that looks like for all of us. God, I don't even fully know what that looks like for me. But Jesus, I want to pray that you would begin to speak to us. God, we play it way too safe. It's so easy to just be comfortable with, with who it is that, that's like us, who acts like us, believes like us, behaves like us. God, it's so true that birds of a feather will flock together. It's just comfortable like that. But God, Today, you're asking us, Lord, to live differently. God, you, you set this example for us, and you're, you're calling us, your people, to be like you. God, to go out and love, to love people, God, who are far from you. So, Jesus, I pray that you would help us to do that. God, help us to do that. God, increase our love for our neighbors. God, increase our love, God, for our coworkers. God, increase our love for, for those who we come across, God, who are just far, far, far from you. God, help us to take risks with people. God, help us to, to just be quick to open up our lives and, sh- and just share our lives with others and then have enough faith and trust, God, that you're going to do the rest. Help us, Jesus, I pray, to live like you. And I'm just going to ask this morning if you just would keep your, your head bowed and your eyes closed. And I just want to, I want to give each of us in this room a moment just between you and God. I just have two questions for us this morning. The first is for those in the room who you go, yeah, I, 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 I'm in the camp where I consider myself a, a follower of Jesus. I follow him. I know him. He's first in my life. My first question is, is for you. And, and I wonder, is, is anybody here, as your heads are bowed, is there anybody here who would raise their hand and say, I hear Jesus this morning calling me to take more risks and step outside 
of my comfort zone with the people that, that I'm in relationship with. Anybody here? Hand nice and high. Lots of us in the room this morning. You can go ahead and put your hand down. And the second question I have is for those in the room that you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. And, and this morning you're going, yeah, I, 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 I want to follow him. I, I hear him in my heart. I hear him speaking to me. Come, come along with me. Follow me. And, and I'm, I'm tired of resisting. And today I want to say yes. And I'm just going to ask in a second, if you'll raise your hand, I want you to understand something very clearly. Raising your hand is not some magical thing that gets you into the kingdom. Raising your hand is not what saves you. In fact, there's nowhere even in the Bible where it talks about people raising their hand as an indication that they want to follow Jesus. All, all that means this morning is it's, I, I just want to pray for you. And following Jesus is not about raising your hand and then going out of here and just living like you used to. It's just following Jesus. You, you, that, that raising your hand, I think the significance of that for you is going, this is a moment for me where my life is going to change. I don't even know what, how it's going to change, but there's a moment right here, right now, on, at 11.37 on March 20th, 2022, where I'm saying, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. And if that's you this morning, as your heads are bowed, eyes closed, would you just put your head up, or your hand up nice and high and say, that's me, I'm, I want to follow Jesus. Anybody here? Anybody here? Online, if you're watching, you go, that's, that's me. I'd, I'd encourage you to even just put in the chat. Yeah, I'm, I'm making a decision today to follow Jesus. I cannot preach a message like this this morning and not give you the opportunity today to follow Jesus. Anybody here? Awesome. So, Heavenly Father, I just want to pray. God, you saw all the hands, God, that went up that go, I want to live more like Jesus. Lord, would you be our help? Would you go before us, I pray. And, God, I pray that we as a church— God, may we just become known as people who aren't just stuck with our own group of people, but may we be known as, as that church, that people, God, here in this city that loves people. God, regardless of what they look like, act like, regardless of whether they're like us or not like us, share our beliefs or don't share our beliefs. God, may we become known as a people that loves like you. I pray all this in your name, Jesus. And everybody said... Amen, amen, amen. Hey, it's been really good having you here this morning. Um, if you've been challenged, convicted, I just encourage you this morning, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Also, um, begin to ask Jesus, what does that look like? What does it look like for me to press into some relationships, to be a better friend to people who don't know you? Jesus, what does that look like? Maybe it means having people over for dinner more. Maybe it means you just... Get to know your coworkers on a, 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 a deeper level than your work. But begin to, to ask Jesus, what does that look like? And then begin to go live it. Amen? Amen. Hey, have a blessed day, blessed afternoon, blessed week. God bless.